0: This episode of Board Agenda is about crisis leadership. In the wake of COVID-19, editor Gavin Hinks talks to two experts about what it takes for leaders to be effective in the heat of a crisis. Welcome to the Board Agenda podcast, where leading thinkers on business and management are interviewed about strategic business issues and their impact on boardroom decisions and company performance. For more expert insights on emerging boardroom issues, go to BoardAgenda.com.
1: Hello, I'm Gavin Hinks, and welcome to the Board Agenda podcast. This episode aims to explore crisis leadership, a pressing issue in boardrooms during the COVID-19 pandemic. Crises can have diverse origins, natural disasters, cyber attacks, data breaches, and political upheaval. Handled badly, a crisis can ruin a company's hard-earned reputation and threaten its very existence. COVID-19 is an extreme example, but how should boards and leadership teams plan for and best manage crises that confront them? Our guests this episode are Matt Dalton, partner at Mazars and lead on organizational resilience, and Professor Ludo van der Heijden from the INSEAD Corporate Governance Centre, who recently produced a paper entitled A Crisis Management Blueprint for COVID-19. Welcome gentlemen, I'm going to push on with our first question to get us started. Is the COVID-19 crisis really unique or are there lessons from previous crises that we can use today? Professor van der Heyden,
0: COVID-19 is a, is a sequel to MERS, uh, the Middle Eastern one and, and then the SARS uh, episode. So the fact that you had uh, these viral transmissions Uh, People have talked about it from uh, George Bush to Obama, you know, to Bill Gates. And and so in that sense, it's hard to say that, um, you know, this is completely new. And that's the danger, which is in a crisis, you can't um, improvise too much and you can't make too many mistakes because credibility is paramount uh, and people are emotional. And so they look for their leaders to give them a guidance. Uh, that was the main point of the paper. There were patterns there, and uh, to conclude on the COVID-19, you know, there was China, uh, then uh, there were other countries, uh, then uh, there was Italy, uh, then there was Switzerland, then there was France, etc. There were lots of things that were happening, and the biggest surprise is. Everybody are uh, talking about being surprised. Now, the first one can be surprised, but not, you know, the fifth, sixth, uh, seventh country, and certainly America or the leadership in America cannot say, you know, this is a, a complete surprise, and we have to go at it ad, ad hoc. The second point, and I'll finish with that uh, in my in my answer, is, um, and Matt might comment on that, is that in a crisis. Uh, uh, basically a board is particularly useful because the CEO has not gone through crises before. And so uh, crisis experience is one of the, the, the dimensions that you want to look at for board composition. And in most surveys uh, uh, it shows that boards have more crisis experience than the CEO and therefore are quite uh, helpful for the CEO who's, who might be a little bit more amateurish, amateurish in the sense of, uh, discovering how to go through the crisis, so it's a great uh, opportunity for board and CEO collaboration.
1: Matt, so from that we take the point that crises are not entirely unprecedented, and there are lessons from the past, and CEOs can draw on the board.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Gavin, really excited to be here on the podcast. And it takes me back to 2017. We wrote an article together. Uh, around crisis management, and actually those boards and those companies and those organisations that can deal with the crisis better, they're going to set themselves up for the future. And and, and, and as you mentioned in the introduction, it can have a massive impact on your reputation. I think COVID-19, it it all comes back to risks and understanding the key risks of a business. Uh, Pandemic risk was was on lots of risk registers. It was common. People knew about it. What's different this time round and is very different is that you know, people just didn't believe it was going to happen. You know, people really didn't feel the likelihood of something happening at this global scale was, was so small to worry about. So I think that's part of the reason why we're in the situation we are at the moment.
1: Uh, Ludo, uh, that's a, it's a very good point that Matt makes there. So I, I wonder, what is the, uh, the essential first step in tackling a crisis? What do you need to do first that creates a foundation for everything that follows?
0: well it's it's recognizing uh, the crisis early on so uh, it's 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 basically you know some boards uh, some companies are in crisis but the board doesn't recognize the crisis so the first thing is is to be aware that you have a crisis situation hmm. so basically recognizing the crisis and crisis is basically urgency you need to be faster and you need to be quicker and the fire is starting and uh, you need to um to stop it and contain it, at some point the thing is out of control, and that is because you didn't recognize it early enough, um, and um, you then didn't frame it correctly. So I would say recognizing the crisis and then framing the crisis. It's not because there is a crisis in the world that there is a crisis for the company, mm-hmm. and what is the nature of the crisis for the company? Uh, I think is is the most important. So recognizing the crisis and then framing what is the crisis. And then you go to the next step, which is, you know, sort of exploring uh, answers and and then, you know, making decisions and gradually conquering uh, the crisis like uh, firemen, you know, fight the fire.
1: Matt, coming to you, um, Ludo talks there about recognizing there is a crisis. Is there sometimes a reluctance on corporate leaders to actually... Concede that they are dealing with a crisis and that they do need to ramp up their activity, become more urgent, as Ludo says.
2: Absolutely. I think in any crisis, the first couple of steps you take are very, very critical. And from some organizations, and you know, without mentioning names, that uh, there have been many crises over the last couple of years to individual companies. And that first step has is, is really had a massive detrimental impact on their reputational value. So that first step is really, really critical. You know, all businesses operating in a constantly changing environment—they you know, should be preparing and planning for you know, a wide range of different strategic risks that, that may come, come against them. And I think with COVID-19, it's not just one or two risks; it's a combination of lots of things happening. You know, risks really happen, or challenges really haven't happened within isolation. So companies need to really build a you know, resilient um, organizational re- resilient framework, and part of that is, is crisis management. And the key word i would probably use would be communication. It's communicate, communicate, communicate. So communicate effectively internally to your, your stakeholders and also externally. And it's really important. That's really transparent.
1: We'll come on to that in a, in a moment, if I may. But is there a problem with planning inside organisations, Matt, that sometimes they think that crises will come one at a time and that what we have here is, here is a combination of crises?
2: Yeah, I think those organisations which have got a lot stronger, more mature uh, strategic risk management framework in place and deal and start to deal and think through what's their risk appetite and how these things may happen and, and what ways they will happen. But it really goes back to, it's funny actually, I was speaking to one of my good friends the other day and he sort of used the term thinking like a four-year-old. You know, so you know, don't, don't follow the traditional risk management process but actually think what are some of the ifs and the buts of things that could happen in the future not saying they're going to happen, but really starting to think through some those different scenarios. And it's only when you can start really thinking through these far-fetched scenarios in some cases that you can start to think through what plans and what things you would do when those things happen. Because when a crisis does happen, you don't have time to do that planning and thinking. You need to act quickly.
1: Uh, Ludo, as you work through a plan, what's going to be very important is that whether you know whether you're being effective or not. And that raises the question of metrics and the choice of metrics.
0: Yes, um, this I think is probably uh, the most the most important. You know, in, in a fire, you know, you might say how many acres are burning. Uh, in COVID, very important how many new cases are showing up. Uh, so deaths is, is sort of a, a four week lag. And the worst metrics is is when you when you don't actually segment, and you have a, a single metric. So it's very important to. To you know, sort of have the right metrics because that aligns people. You know, once you are clear on that metric, everybody follows that metric. In in this case, Worldometers, for example, is is a good is a good website. You know, you get all the countries, you have comparative data, uh, you have data on uh, you know sort of number of tests per million, number of deaths per million, number of cases per million. So metrics are are actually paramount. Now that's what you need to. Um, uh, decide on and and verify that you have the right metrics because the wrong metrics are going to uh, scare people so for example uh, if you just um, talk about deaths for example in an absolute way not a relative way what matters really is relatively to the base population uh, is this notion of probability so if you count in absolute numbers it's going to be much more scary than if you count in in relative numbers, which is uh, which is actually the more accurate measure. So yes, I, I might I might add something uh, that I want to add to the, the previous answer that Matt gave, which is the risk committee of the board. And I think I've I've always been struck over the last few years that there wasn't sufficient um, distinction between. The risk committee of the board uh, versus the risk management committee. And I think, uh, you know, Matt is underlining the, the right point, which is um, risk management should be done by the management. But the, out of COVID, I think the risk committee of the board will come out much more strongly. Uh, which which is going to be the thinking of the four-year-old, which is, you know, what are the basic questions people might be asking that the risk management committee that the experts are not paying attention to? So I think that's going to be a tool uh, that is going to be uh, much uh, more important and, um, and I think really value added to, uh, of the board, which is thinking about the things that could happen and that we're not prepared for. If we're prepared for it, then we just need to execute our prepared answers. But the risk committee of the board is, what are we not prepared of? So the risk committee of the board is is sort of the counterfactual to the risk management committee. And I I think that's a distinction that is very, uh, very useful.
1: Matt, what's your experience of um, these risk committees? Uh, are, Are they providing that kind of support in the way that Ludo describes it?
2: It's probably a bit of a mixed bag, actually, Gavin. I think uh, some risk committees are, are very much driven in terms of driving value for the business. So they've gone to the days of traditional risk management where are trying to mitigate risk. Actually, they see risk as a way of making much better decisions and driving shareholder value. So those organisations and, and, and some very good ones out there that, that align risk management with performance reporting, performance management, really drive value. Others still see it as a tick box exercise. Uh, Something needs to be done, but doesn't really add value. And it's a standalone process.
1: A dangerous process.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I would add, if I may, uh, Gavin, which is, you know, should the risk committee be part of the strategy committee? Should it be part of the audit committee? And I think out of COVID, my guess is that we'll have greater clarity that the risk committee is a self-standing committee uh, because it is not related to audit. Audit is what has happened and it's not necessarily related with strategy because it's actually about what could derail the strategy so um, i think that's i sort of think that's one of the positives for 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 the board agenda
1: well that's an interesting point isn't it matt that covid is actually clarifying some of these important governance distinctions
2: absolutely so i mean governance is is a key plank in organizational resilience so you need to have the proper governance set up and be really really clear and then even lends itself to like a crisis. And um, you know, o- often you see a crisis develop and may only impact one organisation. But the question you'd raise is, who do you put in front of the cameras? You know, it's the reputation, the front page of the paper moment, and really thinking through those different scenarios and the right people to put in front of the cameras. Because often the, the person that is put in front of the, in the cameras is not necessarily the right person, and that can have a, have a real detrimental impact. But governance is really there to make the right decisions for the board, uh, for the company so it's really important to get the, the right people have uh, the right experience around the table to make those decisions with the right tools and the right information
0: and gavin that is that is exactly what you see now you know on the tvs which is yes. who's actually calling the shots Uh probably the us example is a, is a great one you know where there's both dispute on what is the crisis you know and what is the answer to the crisis and are we out of the crisis that's another issue which is uh, you know, is it over with, which is we can go on to reopen the economy or are we still in crisis so that actually reopening the economy will actually add fuel to the fuel to the fire? And then who calls the shots, you know, and, and then the common wisdom is, is responsibility lies with the boards. Uh, but the, the calling the shots and, and, and the making the decisions or at least suggesting the decisions is with the uh, the risk committee or with the experts.
1: Let's move on very briefly to the what what we might term personal attributes. Matt, what are the key leader leadership attributes needed to manage in a crisis?
2: Yeah, you may be surprised I say this, but I think uh, two of the key attributes are empathy and compassion. So really understanding how people are impacted, and if you look at COVID nineteen, there's a real example. Um, Yeah, people are really really acting from a place of both fear and anxiety, the old trauma response. So they're not really thinking logically. And that could be your employees, your stakeholders, um, your shareholders. And so really having a CEO or a leader that acts from a place of both empathy and compassion, uh, I think in terms of then thinking through the decisions they want to make and building a response from that place, I think will get to such a better place. It's it's quite interesting because I think a lot of organisations now are going to be remembered from the way they respond to this. Um, So you can think through your your value statements and your brand statements. And actually, in some cases, these are meaningless. I think it's going to be how you respond now. And I think if you start from a place of both empathy and compassion, both internally and externally, I think you're in a much better place to make the right decisions for your organisation.
1: Ludo, Empathy and compassion, those are quite critical elements, aren't they, when establishing a company's reputation right at the outset of uh, dealing with a crisis?
0: Yes, and that's, of course, where values matter and, and you know, uh, sort of who you are as a person. Uh, and I think I would add to that sort of the humility factor, which is a crisis has a humbling Factor because you discover that you don't have the answers that the answers you thought were working aren't working fast enough, etc. And so, in the end, I do believe that uh, a true crisis uh, requires a collaborative approach, and and a collaborative approach requires humility. So, uh, a humility that uh, you know there are more answers out there, there are more people who know, there's a lot of expertise, and I need to reach out to that expertise and and the 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 worst the worst danger uh, the worst danger is that uh, is people uh, single leaders who think they know and they don't, and they have the power to make decisions uh, and then they actually actually create a crisis. So I would say humility, uh, listening to others, uh, and not having an overblown ego, actually being uh, having a service mentality, serving the company, serving others is i think what you need dictators this is actually relatively shown uh dictators are in trouble matt COVID.
1: matt uh, dictators are in trouble they don't fare well in crises
2: absolutely no i don't think so i think um you need to have a, a strong board around you with, with coming with different things you don't want groupthink. you don't want um, one person making all the decisions i think that's a recipe for disaster
1: Ludo, coming back to you, um, the, uh, getting through a crisis is a, a long journey and it consumes lots of energy and time. Um, but I, I wonder whether management teams need to be thinking about their post-crisis period as well. How, what are they going to be doing when they come out of the crisis?
0: Yes, uh, I think, you know, there is the uh, entering the crisis, there is then sort of, you know, preparing for the crisis to fight the crisis, then fighting the crisis and then exiting the crisis. So I, I think uh, it's very hard for people to do both. And that's, again, a, um, a, a task, I would say, a good task for the risk committee, which in a certain way should be ahead of the management that is fighting the crisis. So I would say the people who are actually preparing the exit from the crisis uh, are not necessarily the people who actually are good at fighting the crisis because it's a, it's a different task. So, uh, yes, you need to have both. And uh, the linkage is, of course, that um, it is the scenario of exit that gives people the hope and the, the energy uh, to keep fighting. Uh, and it, it is remarkable that many people who come out of the crisis you know, are exhausted and are not necessarily the leaders to uh, pick that up. I've always been struck with the way UK dealt with um, uh, with Churchill, uh, you know, after after the war, and and most people sort of probably came to the conclusion that first he was he was tired, very tired, exhausted, and uh, he was good at fighting, but he was maybe not the best at taking the country out of the crisis.
1: Matt, uh, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel is uh, a motivating factor in in dealing with the crisis.
2: Yeah, I think, um, just building on your previous question as well, you, know, you need to have a task force, you need to be, they need to be focused on dealing with the immediate crisis right now. Um, but it needs to be both in hand with what's, what happens in the future. I was doing a webinar a couple of weeks back, and I had 350 senior executives on there, and 80%, 80% of them said that they've changed their business strategy off the back of COVID-19. So that's, that's huge. So that means all the risks and the strategies and things that happened in the, in the past were redundant, which, which is, is really, really interesting. So thinking through the current crisis, you definitely need to have an eye for the future because the future business is going to look very, very different to what it was going into that crisis. So any decision that you do make in that initial period could have a major impact to the, to the strategy of the business going forward. So I think you need to really continue to learn. You need to think in both the current and in the future and I'll even even has had to even say that we should even look into the doing what we call horizon scanning, looking five and even 10 years further, what that would look like. And the important thing from any crisis is to make sure that, that we learn from it. So a lot of things I've done with my clients in the past is done scenarios and testing and actually seeing how do people respond when they're under pressure and actually learning from that and making sure that they can be built into the plans, the way you respond in the future.
1: Ludo, it sounds as if it's a critical step for management to recognise that a crisis can be transformational.
0: Uh, yes, and it, I would say it typically is because, uh, in a certain way, it's a Darwinian—it's a Darwinian uh, uh, reality, which is, uh, you know, crisis. Trans- if it's a real crisis and not a fake crisis, but if it's a real crisis, it, it affects you and it transforms you a little bit like. Um, Uh, a a forest, you know, you need a good fire to regenerate the forest. And uh, that regeneration, I think people will start feeling and it's about life and it's about, you know, what business means. It's, it's my relationship to the, to the, uh, to the, to the business. Why should business cost me so much and things like that. So people already making career decisions. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, remarkable. So transformation is, is, I think, uh, unavoidable uh, because if, it, if, it's a, if it's a real crisis, yes.
1: Matt, very quickly, just reflecting on the relationship between non-executives and managers, mm-hmm. um, h- how should they relate to each other in the heat of a crisis?
2: Well, you definitely 100% need managers on board. I think the communication and engagement always cascades down from the top and it actually dilutes. So by not having your direct reports aligned to your response and what you're doing, it's really going to make it difficult to make a big difference. And actually it's really, really important that you have lots of the right level of challenge to make better decisions for the future. It's interesting, I was listening to Keir Starmer the other day talking about constructive opposition, and I think that is a, is a really good term because you want your managers to help and to challenge in a really constructive way that ultimately the decisions you're going to be making are going to be... you know, much better for the organization
1: going forward. But just to pass it to you, Ludo, how important yep. are non-executives and the role of challenging in the midst of a crisis?
0: Well, I think, um, it's a very good question. And I would say, uh, first, uh, crisis really, uh, is a, is a performance score for a board. So if, if people know what they're doing, then the company, uh, the board will be more together. And, um, uh, the company uh, will go through the crisis better. So I would say uh, this is a point where non-executives can help. But as Matt suggested, that that help should be in a constructive way. And uh, the key word is constructive challenge. So we're always really focused on on doing the best we can as an organization. And uh, I think that's where non-executives with the outside eye, with experiences in, in other organizations, also in other boards, it's actually quite useful uh, for uh, non-execs to sit on other boards, which executives don't have, so that they have an online uh, benchmark. Uh, very, very useful. And uh, I think a crisis will reveal whether non-executives can work together with the executive directors. Uh, but that alignment uh, we is no In a certain way, if there is a real uh, sports game, whether it's rugby or soccer, uh, defense has to work with offense. And I often think as as, as um, the executives being the offense and then the, the board being the defense. But in crisis, it could be the other way around. Um, and uh, it could be that the board really has more experience and that, that one of the reasons the crisis exists is because the executives uh, were not managing the shop carefully enough. And at that point, it's actually the defense taking over, which is the defense is scoring goals or adding value. At that point, the executives have to be willing to to follow. So, how you actually uh, play this this uh, what I would almost say is is like a tango. You know, it's it's sort of uh, both of them have to be aligned. And uh, non-alignment, uh, please watch the U.S. Non-alignment is is fatal, and it's it's very costly.
1: Matt, coming to you for um, our, our last question now, I was wondering whether you could offer a – what would be your top tip for crisis management before we go?
2: So I think my top tip for crisis management is the plan in advance. Um, it's all part of an organisational resilient framework. That Crisis management is not an afterthought, and it really goes back to having understood you know, the strategic objectives of the business. What are, your, what are your key risks, your strategic risks impacting those – and start to think through different scenarios. At least things start to go wrong. What, what's the action? What are you going to do? And often it's more than one of these big risks that are going to go wrong in the future. And then I'd ask lots of boards, actually, how often have you rehearsed and practised your crisis management? And, and i like that question for them. But those organisations that that can respond, and I'll, I'll go back to the word agility, You know, those organisations that are much more agile and can innovate and use, demonstrate technology, are gonna come out of this crisis a lot better. And those organizations which have treated their employees and their stakeholders with real empathy, I think will be remembered
0: for a lot longer than others.
1: Ludo, your one top tip before we go.
0: My key tip would be, uh, you know, again, going back to humility, reassess, uh, do you have the right situation? Uh, you thought you were ready, is it working? If it's working, then it's patience and commitment that will get you out. If it's not working, and that's the most difficult situation, is what do I need to change?
1: Matt Dalton, Ludo van der Hayden, thanks very much for taking part in today's Board Agenda podcast. You can read Professor van der Heyden's paper on crisis management and COVID-19 at INSEAD Knowledge's website and also at boardagenda.com, where you'll find more articles about crisis leadership. That's it for this edition. Thank you for joining us, and goodbye. That was a podcast
0: brought to you by Board Agenda. For the latest thinking about corporate governance and to access a complete online resource for boards and directors, register or log on at boardagenda.com. Thanks for listening.